0: On a scale of one to ten, Joe, how much pain would you say that you're in? I've noticed <laughs> elevated hormonal levels. Diagnosis: puberty. <laughs> yes. Dodge this. I am the father.
1: Oh. I'm here on a mission
0: of mercy. Turn off. There's only one God, man. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that Let's put a smile on that face Six. I want the truth, you can't handle the truth Open the pod bay doors, Hal I'm sorry, Dave, I'm afraid I can't do that This is episode 113 of the Movie Bite podcast. Today we're going to talk about some movies, some movie reviews, movie news, trailers and more. We're recording today on Tuesday, November the 18th, 2014. I am TJ, your host, and joining me today, he is a whiz kid. He's assembled a team of heroes and he's joined by a big squishy robot. It is Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe?
1: Hi, TJ. Thank you. I'm doing great. I I feel honored that you think I have robots in my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If I did,
1: that would be totally awesome.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I, um, what do they talk about on, well, you don't listen to, um, uh, not geek Friday. They don't call it geek Friday anymore, but the replacement for geek Friday IRL talk, that's what it is. You don't listen to that. They talk about robot butlers and stuff all the time, but you don't listen to that. So it's no good. No,
1: I I've, I've checked it out. it's, it's it's okay. IRL talk. That's nice. But yeah, robots. Um, yeah, this one big fluffy squishy ones reminds you of you know Puff Puff Marshmallow Man.
0: Well, I need a nice. I, I need a Baymax. That's what I need in my yeah, life. Yeah, you do.
1: You, we probably all could use one, especially you, TJ.
0: Absolutely. I mean, Lord knows, there's no telling what 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 he could do for me.
1: Uh, yeah, just you know, swap out a couple of his cards. You know, get him to do anything you want. <laughs> run podcasts
0: for you. Absolutely.
1: Program his you know voice to sound like you know. Uh, you know, let's see here.
0: I am your personal healthcare robot,
1: but who would be some voices we would podcast into him? Like, you know, that we would get, you know, program him with James Earl Jones, Harrison Ford's okay. He's got a good man's man voice.
0: Yeah. I'm looking one up right now. Uh, da, 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 Iron da. Man doesn't really
1: have a voice, and that's something that bugs me. I always felt like Iron Man ought to have a cool voice, like Darth Vader has a cool voice. Just here we go. Here we Morgan go. Morgan Freeman was born in 1937. He narrated his own birth, saying, <laughs> "Leaving the warm comfort of his mother's womb, I, Morgan Freeman, enter I, the world.
0: Yes, soon
1: I will make my first poop." <laughs> <laughs> That—that's the voice I'm thinking of.
0: Yes, that's the voice that Baymax needs. <laughs>
1: Blah, blah, blah.
0: <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh well we have some follow-up joe we don't often do follow-up on the show it's like a thing in the podcasting world but it's not something we often get to do so we should That's talk about right. some follow-up
1: and this is a special one because we heard from christopher nolan himself
0: yeah anytime you can do follow-up from christopher nolan i mean that pretty much i mean i don't know where the show has peaked already and we're like three or four minutes in like where are we going to go from here I, I i think that we just need to pack it up after this yeah of follow-up i mean this is it once you hear from Christopher Nolan but you no know, we talked about the uh, the sound issues um and and i speculated on the podcast and in my review that Christopher Nolan had indeed um been intentional in the sound mix like it wasn't a mistake that made it out of the the studio somehow with with you know it just wasn't caught it was intentional the sound mix was very intentional it was what i argued or what i uh, uh, what i kind of uh, thought was was happening uh, although, I mean, I thought there was a possibility that it was a mistake, but not not a big one. Well, he has uh, said, and this is according to the Hollywood Reporter uh, Carolyn uh, Giardina, uh, I've always loved films that approach sound in an impressionistic way. This is Christopher Nolan uh, giving her a quote. I've always loved films that approach sound in an impressionistic way, and that is an unusual approach for mainstream blockbuster. But I feel like it's the right approach for this experimental, experiential film. See, I almost did that. Uh, Christopher Nolan said, speaking for the first time in detail about the use of sound in his new film, Interstellar. Describing his approach to the movie's sound mix as adventurous and creative. Nolan told the Hollywood reporter in an interview Friday, many of the filmmakers I've admired over the years have used sound in bold and adventurous ways. I don't agree with the idea that you can only achieve clarity through dialogue, clarity of story, clarity of emotions. I try to achieve that in a very layered way using all the different things at my disposal, picture and sound. So that's, that's what Christopher Nolan has to say about the sound of interstellar and that any sound issues that you, according to him, think you're hearing are not sound issues. They are very intentional.
1: Well, obviously, he didn't consult with you, TJ.
0: No, he did not, and and I would argue. Here's the thing: I, I agree with him that you don't just if you're if you're telling your story through dialogue alone, like if dialogue drives your story, and, and you're doing this big. You know, we we sometimes talk about here in the movie bite podcast, Joe. Oh, that scene was a dialogue dump, or that was just a brain dump, or that was an information dump, or what? We don't speak of it in good terms. Like if that's all you're doing, that's bad. But I would argue that when you can't hear key points of dialogue because the music is too loud and, – and there were so many times throughout the film where it was just so booming and loud that it was frustrating to try to watch this film. I feel like that's an error of judgment.
1: You know, I would have to agree. But then I started to think about other arts that kind of do what Nolan did here. You know, this is very irksome when it comes to television. I would not expect to find a, a uh, drama, TV drama – to have dialogue overrun by sound effects. Like imagine the Lost TV show. Whenever the characters are running around and flailing their arms about because they're being chased by a pillar of smoke, <laughs> it would have been really annoying if all the sound effects from that pillar of smoke were overriding their dialogue, right? Of course. That would be a huge problem. But then think about it this way Usually, what was over enveloping the voice parts in Interstellar were the music bits that were trying to convey lots of momentous epic grandeur, yeah. and okay, music ordinarily doesn't have a license to come into the foreground. And when it does, it's only usually things like montage sequences where there is no dialogue or maybe it's the passing of time some other way while vehicles are traveling across country. But then I started to think about other mediums that do this all the time And one of them that's really bad about this is music itself. What did I just say? itself, Itself. The industry of music. Now you think about like a lot of pop music, rock music, whatever kind of music. And opera music. I mean, you just name it. There's lots of, you know, lyrics that you can't really hear that well over the sound of the orchestra and the band.
0: Sure, that can happen. And no,
1: it like happens all the time. It happens (laughs) no matter if I'm listening to it on my my beautiful stereo, my car stereo, my iPod, my computer. It doesn't matter because that's actually the way the sound was engineered, and that's the way the artists want it. And no matter how many listeners complain about it, the artists have the say at the end of the day, and there isn't enough complaint that the artists are going to change their ways. Music has been this way for a heck of a long time. So I don't. Uh, for, for the fact of the matter, I'm not happy with what Nolan did, but I understand the license he took because he thought, "Hey, we're filmmakers and we use music all the freaking time. Why can't we do anything we want with that music? Why can't we do anything we want with that dialogue? Well, he's no different
0: than what the artists do. I mean, he certainly can. It's 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 his film to do it with. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not a, a a valid choice. What am I saying? So, okay, so when I say it's not a valid choice, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not a valid choice. I'm saying it's a wrong choice. It's a valid one to make and one that he made, in my estimation, incorrectly. And, and granted, these are all subjective opinions, right? Like your your opinion on this matter is subjective. Mine is subjective. Christopher Nolan is subjective. Uh, the, the, I, I firmly believe that there are absolutes in art and in beauty, but there are also some things that are subjective, Um there just are. And and this is one of them. He really liked the way that the sound is put together. Um, I, and he said, here's another a quote that I didn't mention that he said, there are particular moments in this film where I decided to use dialogue as a sound effect. So sometimes it's mixed slightly underneath the other sound effects or in the other sound effects to emphasize how loud the surrounding noise is. It's not that everybody has, n- that nobody has ever done these things before, but it's a little unconventional for a Hollywood movie. Now, he, now here's what I said I said, actually, believe it or not, Mr. Nolan, there is a reason why it's an unconventional thing to do for a Hollywood movie. Let me spell it out for you. If we are having a hard time hearing what's going on in the film, it's unpleasant. There were times during the film too numerous for me to count that where I was turning my head, leaning in, doing things unconsciously or consciously to try to hear the dialogue of the film better. Uh, I realize that this may be the way things are in the real world sometimes, but this is not a, a good approach for films. It's unpleasant, irritating, and amateurish feeling. I mean there's a reason. When you, when you watch a film that's not a Hollywood film, there, there are some that are well done. But by and large, what you get is that amateurish feel, and that's what I felt during Interstellar. It was amateurishly mixed. Am I wrong?
1: No, you're absolutely right because it's a disservice to the audience,
0: Yeah, especially
1: when it was key moments of the film. Yep. Imagine if Vader was saying, no, Luke, I am your father. But what you heard was boom, 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 yeah, boom. And a little bit of. it's oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly what would it have been like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's dumb. That it's, happened it's really
1: in dumb. this movie. Like the, in, the critical points of dialogue were enveloped by the music. Yeah. I, agree. I would have much rather he had taken this creative license with just, you know, Screams, mayhem, the sound <laughs> of a rocket ship colliding into an asteroid. Right, and you sure. have some, you know, uh, sound effects overrun by music. Yeah. Much rather than any form of dialogue. I agree. Well, that is, uh so that's what, that, that's um, Christopher Nolan's one contribution to our show. Yeah. That's, which is pretty awesome. Thank you, sir.
0: Yes. I, little, he, uh, I appreciate him giving that quote directly to us so that we could bring it to you, our listeners. That's, you know.
1: Yep. Straight from the Hollywood Reporter. Yes.
0: So, Joe, why don't you tell us about this next story?
1: Yes, what we have here is Playmobil has its own toy movie coming in 2017. This was reported by Kevin Jaggernoff from The Playlist. Playmobil, that other company that's made childhood figurines and action (laughs) playsets, managed to get on Entertainment, Wild Bunch, and Path to throw $80 towards a feature film. Bob Persichetti? Persnickety? I'm going with Persnickety. Persnickety. We'll call him Persnickety. Bob Persnickety. <laughs> From Monsters vs. Aliens, Shrek 2 in Puss in Boots, The Little Prince is going to guide the project, bringing the production team of the latter to get this moving. Production will take place in Montreal and the movie will hit in 2017. To quote TJ, this is not going to end well. Mark my words. Do you disagree? I have to say that I'm highly skeptical, today because (laughs) Playmobil has never been all that inspiring to me. I've seen lots of their playsets everywhere Legos are sold, and I have not met one child that told me that Playmobil
0: was the end-all be-all for them. And my wife would have told you that when she was younger. She really liked Playmobil toys. More so than the Legos. Yes, I was into Legos. You and I were into Legos. My wife was more into Playmobil. That's just the way it was.
1: Okay. I mean, like you take the best of toy ideas, you take the best, let's call it transformers <laughs> yes, okay. and you can easily ruin it in cinema. And yeah, then you I, take I something was, like Playmobil, was, which, which is just, you know, slightly above average. Yeah.
0: yeah. I was thinking of cinema when I laughed, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I would actually hope the best for them because obviously Lego has had immense success with video games, television shows, and now their movies. And not just the first one, the Lego movie that came out, uh, what was that last year?
0: Yeah, it was last. Mm. It feels like
1: it was even, it feels like it was just this past I mean, spring. I think
0: it may have been in the spring.
1: Okay. Because anyway, they've, they've also yes, had other straight to like DVD releases and so forth. It was in February. I think that there might be like a Batman Lego movie in there somewhere too. I'm mm. not sure. I don't know. Uh it's- So yeah, I'm really impressed by Lego's output, but I, you know, played, le- I'm sorry, uh, Playmobil is just getting started. They're very late to the game, and this is obviously a a reactionary sort of turn. Obviously, they're just doing it for the money. Yeah, they're not already got ties to other fantastic franchises and you know big name properties. Like they're not making Shrek Playmobil sets. They're not making you know Monster vs. Aliens Playmobil sets. And even if they did, I don't know that we would care all that much. Because okay, honestly. They might be making those sets, but I've not heard of them, and I don't know of anybody who cares. There aren't any Playmobil stores in the mall around here, and Playmobil is – it fits a niche. It fits a niche between the ages of three and six while you're warming up to to Lego, (laughs) but the sets are very easily more expensive for what you get.
0: Well well here's here's where I'm coming from, Joe. Uh hang on something happened to my audio. It died? No, it just uh I've been adjusting it and it, something got off kilter. Okay, so here's here's where I'm coming from, Joe. Um I'm looking at Hasbro's track record. Um, you know, the the other toy maker. <laughs> uh they've got Transformers, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, G.I. Joe, The Rise of the Cobra, Transformers Dark of the Moon, that Ship. Uh G.I. Joe Retaliation, Transformers, Age of Extinction, Ouija. And then they have upcoming films Transformers 5, GI Joe 3, Untitled My Little Pony feature film, Candyland Monopoly, Hungry Hippos, Tonka, Magic the Gathering. Uh I'm just not excited about a lot of these toy movies coming up. I think the Lego movies are the exception. I not I don't think they're the rule. What do you think?
1: Oh, I have to agree. I'm much more interested in what Lego is doing these days. If anything, I'm actually more interested in the whole of their ongoing movie franchises than I am in the future of Disney properties. And the whole reason being, you know, for one, a lot of Disney films are princess films and that's just not my cup of tea. And then the other thing is Disney films are hit and miss every now and then we will just have some real bummers. And you know even things like Frozen didn't do it for everyone. Frozen did it really well for me, but it wouldn't do it well for everyone, and I completely understand that. Whereas I think that a film like the Lego movie is much more accessible. And I think that you could do a heck of a lot with the Lego franchises. Think about just like uh Harry Potter. I mean they they now have the the Harry Potter Lego sets. I think that they could even revisit the Harry Potter movies as a Harry Potter Lego movie franchise and <laughs> do a lot with that that they didn't do with the uh, live action films that kids today could really get into. It would be like the same stories from an alternate reality, and I think that they could have a lot of fun with that
0: i don't I don't know about that, but sure if, if you if that's what you want you can you can see if they'll make that for you. Uh, I'm not going to hold my breath. Yeah, I, and I wouldn't. I don't think I would be all that interested in such a thing. Well, that's the Playmobil news. Not not super excited about that. Don't think it's going to end well. But there is something I am a little more excited about, um, and that is that James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, is talking about a trilogy. And this news comes from Angie Han over at Slash Film. James Gunn was set to return for Guardians of the Galaxy two before the before Guardians of the Galaxy one even opened but it seems his vision extends even beyond that. In an interview he reveals he's already been thinking about Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and has been since he was working on the first one. And uh I I'm I uh I'm kind of of two minds of this. Like I I feel like there is definitely a tendency towards sequelitis, but the Marvel universe feels different and Guardians of the Galaxy feels even more different. Like I feel like there's a lot of potential there. Um and so yeah, I'm and especially since the same director is coming back for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Three. He has the story already set. He's he's thinking, and he has a story to tell. Like that, that excites me. That 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 to me is is the right approach. You have nothing to add to this?
1: Oh, I have lots. I love James Gunn's work. I I, I the Guardians of the Galaxy. I would love if they could give us like a serial, ongoing collection of movies that went well beyond a trilogy. If they could keep it a going. Even if they wanted to, do, uh, you know, like rotate through some of the characters and introduce new ones, if they could keep the the the, uh, the atmosphere, the mood of it going, I would love it. That that they brought so much to not just uh, superheroes, but live action and sci-fi, and uh, for films today. It had that retro experience. I absolutely love when they bring flashbacks, you know, from you know old things, uh, iconic things from my childhood. Yeah, and I would just be enthralled. I, I I don't know what to say because I think it would have been a major disappointment if James Gunn was only going to do two of the three films, and then they would have handed it off to like whoever directed. Well, I was going to say whoever directed men of steel, but like that would never happen. <laughs> Zack Snyder.
0: You want Zack Snyder to do it? <laughs> no.
1: <I was laughs> Stay saying,
0: away from Marvel. Stay yes. well away.
1: And that was my point. Like, uh, who, I guess they would hand it off to somebody, maybe the director of Ant-Man, whoever that guy is. But uh, yeah, well, it's I, not, I'm much it's not happier the same about guy it guy was. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. No, the, who knows? Either one of those. But it's we're all better off for it. Thank yeah. you, James Gunn, for signing up for another one.
0: Yeah, I, I'm definitely excited about this. One thing that I'm a little frustrated by with Marvel right now is, um, I've, I've, I really I'm looking forward to Avengers Two because of Joss Whedon more than anything. Right, like he, I've I've wanted to see Joss Whedon do well for so long. Uh, and he has, in ways, done well. He had a a really successful hit TV show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It, it was kind of a cult TV show, but it, it was very popular, very successful, and he's, ha- he's had some other bad luck along the way. And then he got The Avengers, and it was great, and it was wonderful. And I'm sitting here going, he's going to do even so much better with The Avengers 2. And now we're hearing, eh, we're probably going to get the Russo brothers to direct Avengers 3. And I'm going, what? Why is why is he not? Com- Why is 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 uh, Joss Whedon not coming back for the Avengers three? Oh, it just breaks my heart. I wanted to see what he would do with it. Uh, well, maybe- you know,
1: whatever whatever he's going to do, he's going to be making something nice. He'll be doing something good with his time.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe he just wants a break. It could be Joss Whedon because he even said after, like in an interview, he said after the Avengers, I was just, I was spent. I had to do, had to do something else, you know. And so he went and directed that little. Um, uh, what was that movie called that he did? The black and white, um, much to do about, much nothing. to do about nothing. Yes. Thank you. My, my brain is failing me on the podcast right here, right now. Um, yeah. So he went and did that and that was fun. And that was kind of almost a, a relaxing time off or whatever, but like he didn't even, I think he, so it may be him. I'm, I'm not, it may not be Marvel. Maybe he's just like, I just can't do another one guys, whatever. So it could be, but, and, and at the same time, I'm, I'm really excited about the Russos because they did captain America, the winter soldier, which was fantastic, but, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated with the Joss Whedon thing, but but this is exciting because James Gunn is talking about a trilogy uh, of of Guardians of the Galaxy, and this is coming at a time when, you know, Iron Man 3 had come out and, and you know, it feels like maybe it was a really good movie, but it feels like maybe Marvel's getting a little stale. Whoa, what's this? Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, wow. This isn't stale at all. So, yeah, all this to say, I'm really excited about what may be happening there.
1: De- most definitely very happy about this. And I think that there's loads of potential for the Guardians of the Galaxy characters, even if Marvel didn't have things like the Avengers going for them. You could do a whole movie about Rocket and Groot. You could do a whole spin off trilogy with Rocket and Groot.
0: Yeah, I think you could too. It'll be interesting to see. Like, I know at some point that the Guardians of the Galaxy is going to have to tie into the MCU in some way because, like, They've got infinity gems and stuff that are going to tie into the Infinity War, Avengers Infinity War. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, it'll be interesting to see how all this goes. And James Gunn doesn't feel like the kind of guy to just, you know, oh, we're going to, you know, uh, sure, we'll tie it all in. Like, he's going to want to do it right and do his own thing. So, it's going to be interesting to see how all this works.
1: You know, what's interesting, too, is that Guardians of the Galaxy has that feeling about it that's like it should have had at the top of the movie a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs)
0: <laughs> sure yeah it, it,
1: what's actually happening is it's present day so it's going to be pretty jarring to me in a good way but jarring when we see the characters interacting with the avengers inevitably they yeah, will
0: it's inevitable it'll, it'll happen so yeah that that'll definitely be interesting so yeah james gunn guardians of the galaxy trilogy i'm i, I think i'm for it more than i'm much more than i'm against it so
1: well, speaking of movies, TJ, we have a new segment on the show, or rather we it's have a, re- a returning segment a returning on the segment. show.
0: And to be fair, I, I bring it back once in a while, but we, we used to do it every week for, I don't know, something like 10 or 12 weeks, and then I sort of dialed it back. Yeah, uh, and most
1: of our listeners probably don't even realize that this is a coming and going segment because we're always talking about movies, whether or not there's a new trailer involved.
0: But there were three trailers in the show outlined today, so I felt like it was worthy of a segment we used to call, and we do still call – Trailer bite. Are you ready, Joe?
1: <laughs> yes. We ought to have like a little uh, no, oh no. music diddly. I, I have at something. The top I of have, the I've
0: always bite. played this before. Trailer bite. Here we go. In a world. In a world. 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 In a world. <laughs> <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Thank you. Yes. Uh, yes. So just like old times. Yes, it is just like old times. It, you remembered it, didn't you? Cause I, I'm pretty sure you were, you were on the show when I started trailer bite and then you, yeah, that was like, so episode 39, you know? Yeah. Something like that. All right. So the first up, we have a trailer. Let me play a clip here from the peanuts official trailer. Um. Unfortunately, this trailer doesn't have a lot of dialogue because it's Snoopy and the birds. (laughs) So, but you know, it's, uh, it's Snoopy doing
1: Snoopy things.
0: Yeah, this, um, the thing that struck me is this feels, and I was a little worried, uh, right when they talked about the 3d remake of peanuts and whatever, but this feels 3d is relative. Yeah. I mean, but it's it's CGI, right? It's not it's it's not hand-drawn animation. But this feels like peanuts. It really does.
1: Oh, and it's super clever how like he's flying through France. So oh, yeah. he's dodging well he's you know, what it is is um, well, Snoopy has transformed his doghouse into a plane. Right, right. And he's right. flying around the um I mean that's Snoopy for you. The Eiffel Tower. He's flying around the Eiffel Tower and the entire city is in true 3D. Buildings have a three-dimensional quality to them. But whenever they are looking at Snoopy and the birds, the doghouse, they have a uh, sort of like 2D rendering in three-dimensional space. Sure, yeah. Which makes them look like the old cartoon characters. And I thought that was so well executed. This is a... Uh, This is one of the incredible things you can do with modern CGI animation Mm -hmm. that hasn't been explored very much. So I'm really happy to see this, if for no other reason, just the cool things they can do with animation now.
0: Yeah, I I really do enjoy this animation style. It it feels still a tad clean. I think that's maybe my biggest... Um, my biggest gripe with modern animation is sometimes it feels so clean and and yeah, it feels a little bit like you're looking at a live action of a
1: Hallmark card.
0: But but while I, even even though this still feels a little cleaner than I would like, like it still doesn't feel like old style animation in 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 the good ways. Um, there's still some squeaky cleanness to it. At the same time, I feel like they've done a lot to mitigate that, and this really feels true to the style that Charles Schultz used to draw in. Like I'm, I'm looking at a frame of Snoopy's face. Right now, where he's 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 got the eyebrows arched and he's got like the little the little uh, for lack of a better word the parentheses on the side of his eyes. You know how Charles Schultz used to do that angry look that Snoopy would get. Um, it just it feels it's in three D space, but it feels very much in the spirit of what Charles Schultz used to draw. Uh, I I am a huge fan of of Snoopy and Charlie Brown. Like the, when I was a kid, I would just sit sometimes for hours and read the, the you know they would have the the books of uh, they were they were still like four panel strips and then you'd get to the one that he'd publish on Sunday and it would be the full eight panel strip or whatever but you would you would flip through them and and you know he used to do the episodic he would tell a story in the course of three or four weeks and so you you know they'd make they'd print these books and i would sit for hours and i would just read these comics i loved them so much uh this is like like charlie brown is part of my childhood um, even though it you know, it was long before my childhood actually. My I mean it was part of my parents' childhood, frankly. Um, but this is this just this feels right. Um I'm 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 cautiously optimistic about what they're doing with this film. I never really got into
1: the comic strip, but I watched a lot of the classic cartoons. See, I haven't uh, watched many of the cartoons
0: though myself.
1: I saw a lot, a lot of them on cable around Christmas time, and my parents must have VHS copied a couple. And um I remember when Charlie Brown had a crush. I remember when <laughs> Snoopy right. would like run away from home. And, oh yeah. Uh, Sandy Patty had a crush on Charlie Brown and when they would have their crazy adventures on a camping trip and those cartoons were really fun. And so I looked them up about a year ago to see about sharing them with my kids. And I was really surprised to find how many they actually produced. There were dozens of them. Oh yeah. There were a they lot were produced over a long period of time.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I've watched a few of the, of the things, um, but I was always more into the comic strips. So it's it's funny how we we both had this affinity for Charlie Brown, but in, in different mediums. Uh, sure. I just I never really got into the you got the real deal, and I got the <laughs> the fake. I
1: got the yeah, the secondhand <laughs> stuff.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think Charles Schultz is always pretty involved with with even the the TV show or you know the TV stuff, the TV specials and the in the in the movies and things. Um, and and I believe, boy, I, I don't have this information right in front of me, but I believe his son is involved in this right now. Um so that that certainly helps. Like that feels like the Schultz vision is still, you know, being uh perpetuated in this upcoming film.
1: Of course, we know what that did though to The Chronicles of Narnia. Eh, to have yeah. The son or the great-grandson or great nephew of C.S. Lewis involved in those movies didn't really seem to make a difference, but No. I, I do have a better feeling about this.
0: At least for this first one, and I'm sure they're going to milk this cash cow for all it's worth. There is no doubt in my mind whether this film is good or bad. It's going to make a ton of cash. And yeah, yeah, and and, and maybe the next one, if it's not good, the next one may not. But this one certainly will. Like this is going to be a crowd pleaser, I think.
1: And speaking of crowd pleasers, there's also the Night at the Museum Secret of the Tomb trailer. This is the third installment in the Night at the Museum. And uh, you posted this up on Movie Byte. You want to play a clip?
0: Yep. Let the diversions begin. <laughs> <laughs> <Dark> God, <man. laughs> They're trying to catch the light. I know, but you can't do it, boys. You can't catch light. I should like to comment. Summon the apparatus. Ow. Ow. out Yeah, that's what I did. So that's just a, a real quick clip of the Night at the Museum The Secret of the Tomb trailer. Uh, you know, Joe, I I don't know how popular this opinion is. I really enjoyed the first two installments. I was really surprised by the second one. I was expecting it to be terrible, and it was really pretty good. I, I really liked both of those films. I don't know about this third one. I, I just don't know where they can take it, where they're going to – but I felt the same way about the second one, so I'm – I don't know. I'm reserving judgment, I guess. What do you, I, I don't know. I'm
1: going to reserve some judgment too. I saw the first one. I was mildly amused. It was okay. I saw it in theaters with my family and – as a whole, they seem to enjoy it a bit more than I did. I think it just you know it depends on your mood. You can really get into this, maybe not. And I I think they've put a lot of effort into it, and I really admire their work. I just it's not especially a, a story that interests me, so I might not be the best of judges. But the trailer is leastways least ways entertaining, and I can see why this would attract all kinds of different people in the audience, um, may, mostly kids and families, but it's, there's a lot of material here.
0: Yeah. Uh, night of the museum too may even, it's been a while since I've seen it. I need to go back to it, but it has Amy Adams and Hank Azaria in it. Both of whom really elevate the, the night at the museum franchise to the next level. Like I rarely see Amy Adams mm-hmm. in something that I am not really happy with her performance and generally, usually happy with the movie. The big exception, of course, being man of steel. What was, uh, Amy Adams in that movie, Amelia Earhart. Yeah. It was really good. She was so good. And, and oh man, Hank Azaria just killed it. Um, he, it, Yeah. He was pretty amazing. Uh, it
1: reminds me of like the spirit of the old Mary Poppins and other live action movies of Disney in the sixties. Yeah, only way and better. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying it's better or worse. I just think it, it kind of reminds me of the spirit of that living on. Mm. And Disney certainly isn't doing that sort of thing these days.
0: Yeah, that's true. I guess they're not doing this, this exact sort of thing, are they? No, I mean, like, like
1: you know, we get live-action films like *The Pirates of the Caribbean* and yeah, movies. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm looking for the um, the company that that uh, the, the uh, production company. Okay, here we go. Twentieth Century Fox, fourteen ninety two Pictures. Oh, so this Chris Columbus is involved in this. That's interesting. Hmm. Of course he would be. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the sort of thing he would do. Um, yeah. At least that was not, that battle of Smithsonian. Let me look and see if he's involved in the most recent "Night at the Museum: The Secret of the Tomb."
1: For the people who are yes. not in the know, can you remind them who Chris Columbus is?
0: Uh, he directed the first two uh, Harry Potter films, uh, and then he was the executive producer, producer or executive producer—I can't remember—on the third one. Uh, which um, the director of that film was the guy who did uh, the, the space movie. Uh, boy, I'm just whoa! I'm, I'm losing it here. It's it's terrible. My mind is in a different gear. It just really does not retrieve information well. It really really bothers me. Uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Afonso Curon, of course. That's uh, that was the information my brain would not retrieve. Uh, anyway, so yeah, he was involved in three of the Harry Potter films, and he did a decent job. Well, you know, he got the franchise started, and and uh, the, the the movies that he was involved with are certainly not the worst in the franchise by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, the franchise actually took a nosedive when he left it. So yeah. Uh, anyway, so he's involved, he's been involved in all three of the United at museums. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm cautiously possibly interested in, in United museum three. I don't know. I feel like they're milking it a little bit. Uh, and I wish they'd stop because they need to stop while they're ahead. But if they can get one more hit out of it, then, then they can stop, but they probably won't. Trilogies, man. That's where it's at. Apparently. Um, I think that this next trailer is my favorite that we're going to play tonight. So let me, let me play a little clip.
1: I came to tell you something is coming that is far beyond my control. Unless you set set my people free. I am prepared to fight for eternity. You say that you didn't cause all this. You say that your God did. I am the God. I am the God.
0: That is a clip from the trailer for the upcoming film Exodus Gods and Kings, which, uh, will be releasing on December the 12th. Uh, so less than a month away is when we're going to see this film in the theaters. Um and this is from director Ridley Scott um who did a favorite of mine Gladiator um and he's done some other films that have been pretty good. Um although he's a little hit and miss at times, this film Joe has the feel that I really loved from Gladiator. Um but it's it's got some complications in that it's a biblical um you know story And I feel like that may be a sticking point. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't know.
1: We reviewed Noah, and I think people who want to know more about our opinions on movies that are biblical story adaptations should check something out like that film. And what we said about that film, in general, you have to be careful because you're stepping on a lot of our toes. Because a major point of view of Christianity, and I believe even Judaism, is that the Bible ought to be uh, respected? That when you want to depict something in the Bible, you should try your darndest to be consistent with what you have in the original tellings or in the best translation of it for you know modern audiences. But you know what Hollywood wants, wants to do is they want to make a grander epic that makes it more attractive to modern audiences, and so what it sounds like what it looks like by the trailer is that this actually has a gladiator flair to it. It actually feels as though Moses is akin to Russell Crowe's gladiator character. He feels like a warrior. Yeah. He, he's leading the armies, the troops or the nation of Israel. And, and it, he's rallying them with a cry. And that's actually inconsistent with the biblical Moses, who was kind of shy. He was soft-spoken. He, to the best of our knowledge, he had a lisp or something going on, and he needed help with public speaking.
0: Right, exactly. Yes. And, and, and here's the thing, Joe. Like, even that, I can, I can live with it, depending on what they do. And I'm really, really like, I'm so torn about this because I really like the feel of the trailer. Like this trailer really appeals to my sensibilities as a film viewer. Like this is the type of film I like to watch. If it were not a biblical story, I would be jumping up and down with excitement about this film because, because it looks and feels in many ways like gladiator, but I feel like it's going to be differentiated enough that it won't feel like a retread. Um, so so on that level, it really excites me. But, but Oh, like, I have
1: to agree. You're absolutely right.
0: But like you say, it's frustrating in that we know that this is probably going to have some issues. I don't feel like it's going to be as bad as Noah. In fact, I feel like it's probably going to be the type of film that I'm going to say with these caveats, yes, this is a film you should probably watch. Uh, whereas Noah is a, not a good film on any level for any reason in my estimation, and there are people that disagree with me. Uh, for instance, um, um, Fizz disagrees with me, and uh, he was on the episode where we talked about it along with Michael Minkoff. That there was a lot of sparks flying. <laughs> that was fun. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, so yeah, I, I just I, – oh, man, I, I'm so torn about this. I
1: have, I have another thought about this. For people who cannot really relate because there are a lot of people who probably listen to the show who are not religious – I completely understand where you're coming from. But I want to give you a little uh, idea of what we're talking about here. It would probably bother you if you found, say, your favorite sport event. And you can think back to a very pivotal game that you've really enjoyed. You watched it. You practically memorized that game. You remember what it felt like that day to experience that game. And it was the key players, it was the key um, plays in the game that made it happen for you. Now imagine if that were made into a movie where a significant part of the game were completely reinvented. They changed the name of characters, they changed perhaps the time of year that the sport even took place in, they changed the fields, they changed the actual plays in the game. They changed what the announcers said that day, and possibly even going so far as to change the outcome uh, outcome of the entire game. That would really bother you. It would bother you because that movie was not a reflection of what made that game great. You would want the original deal as much as possible. Now, for future generations, though, for future generations that didn't see the live sporting event they will watch that movie and they could easily think, oh, well that must be a genuine reflection of basically what happened in that sports game. Sure. And you as the fan would be bothered greatly if people came away with that impression because you would want the accuracy if it was possible and you knowing how films are made know that accuracy is possible but the filmmakers took liberties because they simply didn't want to reflect the out, the actual event and that would be irksome so on the one hand it doesn't matter how greatly produced the film is made it doesn't matter how artfully it's done if it doesn't reflect what actually happened. And that is where we're coming from. So we can totally dig a good movie. It's just if you're tampering with something that you believe to be history and we have a great account for it, then it, it is definitely disappointing.
0: Yeah, I, I agree.
1: So yeah, I mean, not to be a downer and all that kind of jazz, but that's the way it is. And that is Trailer bite for episode 113.
0: That's it. Yeah. Well, shall we uh, get into our review of uh, Big Hero 6? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, let's do it.
1: Uh, You caught me with a drink of water.
0: Okay, here we go. All
1: right, let me get this straight. A man in a kabuki mask attacked you with an army of miniature flying robots. Microbots? Baymax, tell him. Yes, officer. Ah! Microbots?
0: Yeah, he was controlling them telepathically with a neurocranial transmitter. Come on! I am not fast. Yeah, no kidding! Go, 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 go! That was from the trailer for... Big Hero 6 it's the newest film out in theaters or it's one of the new films out in theaters we're actually a little behind in reviewing it uh because there are so many good films out actually right now. This film was released on November the 7th, 2014. It had a budget of 165 million. It opened to the tune of 56.2 million. The worldwide gross right now is 148.3 million, so it's done quite well for itself. The credit consensus is that it's agreeably entertaining and brilliantly animated. Big Hero 6 is briskly paced, action-packed, and often touching. Uh, Apparently, I did not fill in all the information I was supposed to. (laughs) had a brain glitch. All right, so the director was Don Hall and Chris Williams. That's interesting. There were two directors. Uh, Writers were Jordan Roberts, who wrote the screenplay. Daniel Gerson also wrote the screenplay. Um, and it stars the likes of Scott Adsit as Baymax, Ryan Potter as Hero, uh, Daniel Henney as T- Tadashi, T.J. Miller as Fred, Jamie Chung as GoGo, uh Damon Way- Way- Wayans Jr. as Wasabi, Genesis Rodriguez as Honey Lemon, Alan Tudyk as Al- Alistair Cray, um, James Cromwell as Robert Callahan, fantastic voice cast. Uh, the composer, the composer, since I did not fill this information in properly, I'm looking and I'm stalling. <laughs> uh, Henry Jackman was the composer who has uh, done several films that have I have liked well enough. Um, he uh, is going to be scoring several upcoming Marvel films, including Captain America Civil War. Um, he scored Captain Phillips. Uh, he scored uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Um, let's see. He did X-Men First Class uh it seemed like he did another x-men film what didn't he do wolverine maybe i'm not seeing it so i might be wrong about that um i feel like henry jackman let's see yeah captain america the winter soldier there it is that's what i was looking for so he's done some uh, fantastic work for marvel and this is kind of still a marvel project kind of sort of related uh so yeah that's that's the music and the uh, composer do you have anything to say about him joe
1: no, not specifically. I was going to comment about Marvel's involvement. I don't remember at the top of the film seeing a Marvel Studios animated, you know. Yeah, I, w-
0: I was surprised about that because it is a Marvel production to some extent. But it feels like I, I know that Marvel actually started distancing themselves from it for some reason, which is odd because I really liked the film. You would have thought, oh no, the film is not going to be any good because because Marvel, like, it's weird. Marvel is allowed to operate as its own entity, even though they're owned by Disney, and so they they do whatever Kevin Feige wants them to do. And it just felt like they started being really standoffish about Big Hero 6. Even though they were – you know, talk, the, their involvement was talked about and and publicized early on, it really it really is mostly a Disney production at this point. So, And it
1: felt like a Disney production. Yeah, it uh, did. And not, and not a bad way.
0: No, no, not in it, a bad way at all. It was a
1: welcome sort of spin on things. And it's something that you pointed out in your written review that I really appreciated was that it reminded me of Bolt. Yes, yes. It had yes. the storytelling feel of Bolt. While still being a Disney film, not about princesses, yes. and being uh, a lot about the action, a lot about superhero themes. Yeah, it was spirited and, um, and it definitely Disney of the modern era, toying with stories that they hadn't explored very much in the past. Certainly not as iconic as what Disney is known for, you know, Mickey Mouse and things like that, but a very tasteful film and certainly one that works on its own.
0: Well, I think what we're seeing now is the effect of John Lasseter. I think it's taken a few years for his effect to really start to – because there's so many things in motion. Even when, though he took over the studio in 2006 or seven, I don't remember. Uh, he took over uh, Disney Animation Studios way back then when, when, when Disney acquired Pixar, and yet I think there probably were things in motion that he had to get turned around, and I think we're starting to see those effects. I mean look at the last three films that Disney has put out, Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, and Big Hero 6. I think these are representative – of the new face of Disney Animation Studios, and these are all fantastic films. I don't care what anybody says. Frozen is a fantastic film. Wreck It Ralph is a really fantastic film. Big Hero Six, really fantastic film. I think Bolt was the first inklings that we had that that things were turning around at, at Disney Animation Studios because they were putting out such garbage before, in many ways. And Bolt, I I really was surprised how good it was. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't awesome like these like like, like Big Hero Six and Wreck It Ralph. But it was pretty good, and there was that unfortunate business with the Princess and the Frog, which I I really wanted to, to like from the trailers, and then when we actually got the movie, it was terrible. Um, it already I, feels
1: like ancient history, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it feels like the old Disney. Like it feels like what? Whoa, what happened here? Uh, is is what it feels like? Um, you know. So yeah, I I'm really happy with what's going on with Disney Animation Studios. I can't wait to see what they're coming up with next. This feels mm. this feels like the new Pixar, frankly. Yeah, Um, a
1: little bit, or like uh, Pixar's younger brother.
0: Yeah, Pixar's younger brother is a more apt description. And obviously, you know, John Lasseter being involved, it's not surprising, uh, because John Lasseter was the brains behind Pixar. Frankly, he was he was what drove Pixar. I mean, he he directed the first two Toy Story films. It was his heart, his soul, and his vision that was um, imbued upon Pixar that made it what it was. And I think we're. I I mean, I think Disney was really smart in in hiring John Lasseter. And I think that you know, people will argue with me. I, I think people will say, I oh, know this is not true. I think there was something of a brain transplant or a heart transplant or whatever you want to call it between Pixar and Disney. And I think we're starting to see the fruits of that.
1: Oh yeah. They definitely got their wires crossed. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worst.
0: Well, and, and I think you, I brought this up before and I think what you pointed out and I agree is, it, you know, yes, Pixar has a special place in my heart. It, it has a special place as a, as a company, regardless of what happens because they produce such great films, but ultimately what i care about is that we're getting good stories from great great writers and great directors and great animators uh and if those come from disney instead of pixar fine whatever there there's yeah. stories that we're looking for and there they are and what we
1: are saying in addition to that is that we are getting a 3 for 1 sale this is a disney movie a marvel movie and a pixar movie all wrapped into one
0: yes and all the it's like it's like you took most of the good things about each one of those 3 uh, those, those, those three movie producers uh, and and rolled them up into something that was really incredible.
1: Yeah, um, so here, here was the storyline from the studio. With all the heart and humor audiences expect from Walt Disney Animation Studios, Big Hero 6 is an action-packed comedy adventure about robotics prodigy Hiro Hamada who learns to harness his genius thanks to his b- brilliant brother Tadashi and their like-minded friends, adrenaline junkie Gogo Tamago, Tamago Tamajo I think it's Tamago it just it doesn't look right it doesn't look like it should be pronounced anyway
0: well neither does San Francisco. so <sighs>
1: <laughs> well I'll, I'll buy that one uh, it at least sounds like a uh a parody of you know a city we know of yes ne- neat nick what wa- <laughs> what kind of word is neat nick okay
0: neat nick never wasabi? heard that word before I haven't oh wow
1: I've been under a rock when a, it came to that. A,
0: a neat Nick is someone like if you, if you, uh, fastidious, their, their, their desk is completely clear of anything but the keyboard and the mouse. Cause he's a neat Nick. He didn't keep trinkets and junk on the desk. Kind of like I do. It bothers mm, okay. me, but I do
1: see, I was, I was not thinking that at all. Okay. Yeah. Ch- chemistry with honey lemon and Fanboy Fred. So we have one, two, three, yeah, three friends, no four friends. Yes. And then there's Tadashi Hiro's older brother. So that's uh the 10 fantastic six or are they? When a devastating turn of events catapults them into the midst of a dangerous plot unfolding in the streets of San Francisco, Hero turns to his closet companion a robot named Baymax and transforms the group into a band of high-tech heroes determined to solve the mystery. So this was based on a comic book adventure, right?
0: Yes, it was a a short-run comic, I believe, if I have my history correct, that Marvel did that's not very well known necessarily – uh, and kind of so like Guardians was, of
1: the Galaxy in that way.
0: Yes, in that way. It is loosely based on the comic is my understanding. In fact, there are several differences from the comic. But it was inspired by, you might say, the original comic, Big Hero 6. I guess Baymax is a completely different character. Like the name is the same yeah, the fact that he's a robot is the same, but he doesn't look the same, he doesn't really? act the same, he doesn't have the same storyline. He's not huh. Yeah, he was not a caregiver. He was not a health caregiver in the original stories is what I'm given to understand.
1: Well, that's a rotten shame because that just means that the comic book got the train uh got it wrong. It did, this, didn't it? This this tra- this version is way better.
0: <laughs> this movie, I I was expecting it to be good. I don't know if I was expecting it to be this good. It it is fantastic, Joe. And for what it is worth,
1: I I do appreciate that it had its comic book roots. And that was something that was uh, kindly reflected in the uh, closing credits sequence. They showed lots of flashes of various scenarios that didn't happen in the movie, but you could totally see happening with these characters. Remember the end credits for the Incredibles, how they showed very flashy action sequences where the characters doing superheroic like things in their city, but they were somewhat abstracted and they show all the the credits, uh, the names and titles flying by yes, while yes. they're running around. And they sort of uh, did an homage like that, where they, they show various things that could have been storyboards or comic book panels and it included Baymax as he appears in the movie. And if they wanted to turn this into a comic book, I would actually consider checking it out and Mm -hmm. maybe sharing it with my kids because it, it, for what it was worth, the content of the film was approachable for young kids and whole families enjoyed it. And it's the kind of thing that I would actually share with my children, which is something you can't say about a lot of comic books these days.
0: You use that word a lot, that phrase for what it is worth.
1: Well, and it's true.
0: Okay, <laughs> uh, I'm just curious. What uh, anyway? Um, yeah. So yeah, I I I completely agree. I would totally read this comic if I had time. I, I don't have time to ever read comics ever. But um, it it it's uh, it was it was refreshing in a lot of ways. Um, it it uh, it it. You know, so so many 3D. This is what I was alluding to before with the Snoopy stuff and with Charlie Brown. So much 3D animation feels. Um, so super clean and um and and they try to be too real to life and and this is one thing that John Lasseter, I think, has always reigned in. I remember in an interview, and even when we look back at Toy Story now, the original toy Story, and we say, oh, that doesn't I mean, yes, it's three d anim- it's three d cGI, but it doesn't feel real to life, but even at that time, he was trying to dial it down ways and make it feel more a little bit more cartoony. He did not want to get into that uncanny valley. Uh, where things are not quite right, but they feel too real to not be real but you know so he wanted to stay out of that, and I think that 's what he brings to this film like you have this fantastic character of Baymax who is this roly poly doughboy of a of a robot like there is no way this character can exist in the real world his his the mechanics don 't work the the physics don 't work, but this is a cartoon, and so that 's perfectly okay you've got the gangly you know uh, uh teenage, just, just hit 13, I think, or something, uh, hero who is, there's just, again, the physics for this boy don't work in the real world, but it's a cartoon and it's, it's just, it brings this wonderful sense of, um, of, of comic book that, that really works in the film's favor. It was also
1: nice to see a smart kid, a teenager with his, you know, his wits about him. He was doing, you know, something, Rather dumb with his life, but he was really really sharp, and he just, just needed to find where to plug in. I thought it was cleverly illustra- illustrated where his older brother is helping him out, and at the beginning, you're kind of wondering, is Hero really going to be a decent central figure? And it's really the supporting cast of characters that hone Hero really well and made him to be a worthy hero. You know, it reminds me of characters like Wreck It Ralph, where Wreck Ralph is the, the bad guy at the beginning of the movie, and you're just not too sure if perhaps he can really pull it off, if he can be the main character. But then, you know, sure enough, just, you know, give it a little bit of time and all the supporting characters and what they bring to the table. And that character goes through a, a dramatic arc in the story and great character development. And it was very fulfilling. And it made Hero something special. And I appreciated that because he reminded me of sort of like some of the video game characters that I admire. I, I I can't say, I can't exactly put my finger on it, but this reminded me of things like the classic Mega Man games. And anyone who's a nerd out there who's played video games, you'll know what I'm talking about. Mega Man doesn't really have much of a personality because he's a robot, but the feel you get from that character is that he he's a real hero that's learning something along the way from his uh you know his his father if you will the scientist who built him and you kind of got that impression about hero as well and his relationship to the robot it wasn't the same relationship it was a, a very different relationship but it was in the same classification of relationships so this was a buddy film that had roots in gaming culture uh, and really probably the reason that I see that isn't so much video games for the sake of video games. There's not a direct corollary, but maybe it is what the Japanese culture brings to this film. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about because here we have the fictional San Fransokyo. Is it, that's what it was, how, how it was spelled?
0: Yes. San Francisco. It's, it's, it's a mashup of San Francisco and Tokyo. Well, and it really was cool that the setting
1: was actually something I thoroughly enjoyed. Just the, the crazy mashup, how it felt like a huge hybrid of a a Japanese city and, and an American city. And it was pretty clever. Some of the things that happened because of it. And there's actually some places I hear of over on the other side of the world that are kind of like this because uh, you know, Japanese cultures and various other Asian cultures have taken American and European architecture and cities and basically built their own versions of them overseas. So San Francisco isn't necessarily a huge departure from reality. There are cities that are actually reminiscent to this.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think um one thing that I read and I think I may have written. Is that uh, it, it's it's ge- uh, geographically it's located uh, at you know where San Francisco is, but it looks a whole lot like Tokyo, which I, I really don't know because I've never been to Tokyo. And I don't know that I paid that much attention, but it definitely felt like uh, a thing that was familiar, but a thing that was totally unfamiliar. Um, like like a, a mashup of the things. And of course, it's also futuristic. So um, it, it's it's interesting in that way too. Uh, but I really, really enjoyed the the world building in that way. Like I really, really enjoyed the landscape and, and everything. I, I I have to admit I don't quite understand why robot fighting was illegal. I mean there are robots for crying out loud. But 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 you know it, it's still like it, it's something you can imagine happening in the modern world too. Like stuff is illegal that shouldn't be all the time.
1: So, yeah, you're right, and and that was unexpected, but at the same time, it it's uh, art imitating reality in a very uh, <laughs> unconventional way. So yes. in a roundabout way, it felt, felt a little bit more true to life. <laughs> I, I accepted it actually pretty quickly, and then I thought to myself,
0: no, that's just dumb. <laughs> yes, yes, like like many things that we, we see in the news today, yes, we, we think that's just dumb.
1: My favorite thing about this film was really the first half of the film – that was just chop full of entertaining gags,
0: witty lines, on a scale uh, funny of one to ten. and animation. <laughs> say yeah. what? I said, On a scale of one to ten, Joe, how much pain would you say that you're in? I've noticed elevated <laughs> hormonal levels. Diagnosis? Puberty.
1: <laughs> yes. It, it really some of it you just have to see in the movie to really appreciate. But it was it was golden opportunity to create uh, robot humor. Yes, and, and yes. The, the artificial intelligence uh it, it was actually it, it offered not just a lot of uh humor building but also character building as well by the by the halfway point you felt like you regarded Baymax as a sentient being or a character oh, yeah. even sure. if he wasn't yeah, well, and he- you cared about him you cared about what he thought about things and that's what took me by surprise was how much you care about how what he thinks about things.
0: Well, it's sort of like in that way the character of Data in Star Trek: The Next Generation. You really come to care for an android. Where in the beginning of Star Trek, you're like, "Oh, it's an android, whatever." But by the end of that series, you're like, "Data's a person. He's a real thing." Like, like that's how you have to tell story. Whatever your feelings and thoughts are about robots, whatever uh, you know, or whether they could ever be sentient. I don't think they can be, but. The point is, in a story, you can't do that. Like you, you have to have characters that people connect with, and Baymax is one of those characters. Like, spoiler alert for the end of the film. But by the end of the film, when things unfold, like you, you're literally um, in tears for this poor robot, right? I mean, I, I certainly,
1: you uh, definitely, yeah, you're. De- well, I don't know, you're if emotionally, I was in tears, but you're definitely emotionally, yes, invested,
0: in- invested and connected, and and it was one of those things too, where in the climax. Um, I actually wondered how they were gonna get him uh, again. I've already mentioned spoiler alert. I'm just mentioning it again. But I wondered how they were gonna get him back, or if they were. Like, is this the end of, of Baymax? I. It, it, and 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 this is what I find. Like, if I wasn't emotionally connected, I probably would have said, "Oh well, he probably he's got a backup tape or whatever." But I was so far removed from thinking about that. I was thinking about him as a character in the story, as a real emotional thing and i was so connected that my mind never thought anything other than he's dying he's dead what are we gonna do and that's that's how impactful the story was so i i was very very happy with the way that they they connected all the dots in that way so do you
1: want to talk about some of the other things uh, a variety of you know the not so great
0: uh, well, I mean, I did just want to mention before we get to the, to the Not So Great, I, I really don't have anything, so that's going to be all you. But I, I did want to mention that um, the film, yes, it's, it's a great film. I probably don't think I would be afraid to take my children to it. So in that way, yes, it is, as you would expect from a Disney animated film, a good film for kids. But like the best of the Pixar films, I think this film really has a deeper story, and it deals with uh, themes – uh, much like much like a Pixar film would, um, you know, in this film you've got loss, grief, mercy, forgiveness, friendship, love. I mean, all those themes are tackled in this film, and it adds up to something really great. Just like the best of the Pixar films, in my in my opinion, it, it's sort of like uh, since it's a superhero movie, I suppose you can compare it to the Incredibles. Where uh, my kids love the Incredibles, and I love the Incredibles because it has something for everybody, like these good films do um and it really deals with some 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 really grown up themes you know hero um he really wants to exact revenge like he's grieving the loss of his brother and when he finds out who did it he wants nothing more than to kill that person and this is a, a a a way in which his character has to grow and he does and it um it's really well done um it it's really the the film really connects on that level
1: Okay, so uh, I have a lot of little nitpicky things. Um,
0: I figure uh, given your star I, rating that you've got in the outline here, you must have. I don't know I, what they possibly could be.
1: I don't feel very strongly about any of them. It's just that there's a lot of them. First of all, I'm just going to mention Tadashi, who is Hiro's older brother. Yep He was, a, he was an okay character at the, at the beginning. But in a way, he kind of felt like a college student equivalent of the man in the yellow hat for Curious George. And that is kind I don't of annoyed know what that me. means. What that means is that he was a flat line. He was a two-dimensional character. He was like subpar Christopher Robin in Winnie the Pooh. He he was just a guy who was always charming and friendly. No matter what the heck was happening, he wouldn't be especially funny. He okay, wouldn't but be Joe. especially interesting. He was just he was solely a role model and it was a bit too force fed.
0: But he was only in the first act. Like there was no time to develop his character. That's why he felt two dimensional is because no, we, this is the we way we got he...
1: lots of dialogue from him. We got to see video recordings of him later on and mm. all that we saw of him was just kind of boring. He was just a – he was too much of a goody 2 shoes
0: But I see I don't I don't buy that because you look at the recordings where he was uh, trying to get Baymax working and he went from, you know, anger and frustration and like he wasn't just a two-dimensional yeah. character. It's just that yeah, we none didn't of that felt real though. <laughs> it's just just
1: didn't feel real.
0: Uh, I, I, uh, um, overruled. Move on. He was okay. <laughs> no, he just
1: didn't feel like the genuine article. I like really, he, he didn't remind me of my older brother. I he didn't really remind en- me of my younger brother. He didn't remind me of a brother in the real world. Okay, so what he you're was a bit saying, too Mayberry and Andy Griffith.
0: So what you're saying is you can't identify with him because you never had a brother like that.
1: But I mean, uh, I've known- in part, but I I just also don't know any brothers like that that I would actually like. Like he doesn't seem relatable for Hero's character, except that for some reason Hero really likes him. And again, it seems like that was a little bit too forced by the nature of the story. They needed Hero to like his older brother, especially when he dies. It's going to be one of the main key thrusts of his motivation moving forward
0: but see i've known people in the real world that are pretty much like tadashi where you, you, i mean you just can't not like them they're they're such a likable force and personality and they feel two-dimensional sometimes but you'd love to be around them they're they're great people to be around i've known people like that so i didn't have trouble buying that that actually brings up a like that i had that i forgot to mention i don't think i mentioned it in my review either which is that i really loved that this film did not rely on the the old trope well he's from a broken home like his mother and father we don't know what happened to them we assume they're dead and he's being raised by his aunt him and his brother and they could have easily gone to this you know broken home childhood trauma thing but they didn't like he was well adjusted both of these brothers were well adjusted they uh loved their aunt and uh it was it was just a wonderful relationship i really appreciated that the, the drama and the tension came from other things in the film so, yeah, th- that's
1: that's a fair point of view, and I I'm certainly happy that they did not fall back on that that idea that it, you know you have to somehow talk about how he's an orphan and that's what motivates his character. I'm glad that they didn't do that, and they could have easily fallen into a pit where you remember how Vanellope treats Wrecked Ralph as sort of a surrogate uncle, <laughs> and there's sort of a quality here too that they could have developed some awkward feelings between hero and the robot that he was somehow a, a big brother or somehow a part of the family and that hero looked up to him, but that didn't really happen in a very unique way. They found a good balance where hero was regarded as his own independent character that was influenced by Baymax and vice versa, but neither of them became familial and that was good.
0: Yeah, and so I guess all that to say, I really enjoy the familial dynamics and relationships, and that includes Tadashi. Okay,
1: so then second to that, I'll say that I really enjoyed the comedy for the first half of the film, but the more and more they involved Tadashi's college friends and they became other superheroes, the more I began to realize the tone of the film was making a dramatic turn for me. I noticed that the... The the entertainment value got away from what I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the the character-driven moments and the comedy, which were very rich for the first half of the film and tonally changed in the second half to where it felt like a CG animated equivalent of something like the X-Men movies or whatever kind of movies where you have a party of superheroes, all banding together with a variety of bizarre, you know, superpowers and they're going to fight some villain with a bizarre superpower. But what happened was those characters were not as well, not as interesting. The support for their superpowers wasn't as, as gripping. It felt like they were trying too hard to be original. Like um, there is this one, uh, girl. She has these wheels that are held by magnetism. Yeah. to her heels, and she can f- run around and skate with them, basically. Mm-hmm. But the physics involved are absolutely beyond crazy. They're beyond hoverboard level intense laws of physics breaks. You know, it's just, it's over and beyond all reason.
0: Yes. But then okay, two, let's two, say two even- syllables, Joe. Two syllables. Cartoon
1: but even if but even if you could p- break the laws of physics the way they did with her super powered uh, suit and her wheels, she basically picks up the skill to use them in a matter of minutes That's true. she she figures out the physics, she puts them on she 's clumsy, really clumsy with them for like the whole of ten seconds, and then the next ten seconds, she is like a pro, and that absolutely annoyed me because it devalues. Things like the superpowers of the Incredibles. Let's compare this just for a second. One of the reasons that I think a lot of people were drawn to the Incredibles was because we saw how superpowers don't always make life easy for people. If you had the powers, you would still experience a lot, a lot of awkward experiences. You're, You're still, you know, a mother. You're going through whatever age bracket you're in. Maybe you're 35, maybe you're pushing 40, and you've got big hips, and you're concerned about that and how your hair looks, and worried about your kids dying tonight while you're on some villain's island. But here, none of that kind of thing is happening. Everything is happening a bit too easy for these superheroes. Like, Mr. Incredible can get cut, and he can bleed, his Back can get screwed up, but I didn't feel like any of these characters could die unless the movie was going to okay again, kind of force the point, make them die again for the convenience of the plot development, and it would all happen off screen so that we would not see any blood and guts or harm done to any character, and and that just that kind of like it's uh, it's a bit too sanitized for me. It's a bit too. It's a bit too clean for me. Like you know, in all these video games, you shoot and kill somebody, they fall on the ground and whoop they vaporize. They just disappear. They're, their the whole carcass is just gone. And it's like really that that's not very true to life. Um, it's I'm not saying that I want a video game that's true to life where a bunch of bodies just lay around on the ground and some mop up crew I mean, comes along with it, with an emergency. Those, vehicle to pick up those all the video curcasses.
0: games do exist, Joe. I don't, want, I, I don't like I know, them.
1: I'm just saying that you compare and contrast the level to which this film used things. I just, that kind of annoy me. I, I it, it was a bit too irksome when it came to the villain though. That was my big disappointment, not, not hatred for the film, just disappointment with the film. Pretty much anything they did with this villain was only okay, and none of it seemed all that inspired. The villain wasn't especially interesting. He had a unique sort of gadget he was using to create some very uh, dangerous things, but apart from the thing that gave him a special ability... The villain, his motivation was just kind of
0: ordinary. See, now I'm going to counter that. I, I think the villain was quite complex. I, I would have agreed with you if not for the circumstances that unfolded and where he ultimately got what he wanted by saving his daughter from from the, uh, the, the the portal thing. But yet he realized, I think that he had gone about it an entirely wrong way, and he didn't even know his daughter was alive. And I thought that the whole thing turned out to be quite complex, and I was very, very happy with with the way that that all turned out. So I'm not quite sure what you're complaining about, I guess.
1: Okay, at the beginning of the film, they created this character that was sort of like another example, a a hero, another mentor uh, for Hero himself. It was this professor who was a great mentor for all these uh, students in the laboratories at the college. The, The nerd school, yeah. Yeah, and so you had good reason to believe that this professor was a noble individual. He had an integrity He was an upstanding person who cared about the lives of all of his students as well as he would any other human being. Sure. And then as the plot unfolds, lots of spoilers here. Basically, he has very tragic things happen to him when his daughter dies or his daughter supposedly dies. He wants to blame someone else in the scientific community for it. So he starts to act out his revenge on that person because he feels that that person genuinely wronged him and the only way that that person could make up for it is if that person dies because it seems it seems to me that he didn't just hate this guy for the fact that his daughter died because of this and you know his daughter died because of what this man did but it was also that he even despised This man, for all of his decisions, all of his decision-making, he loathed everything about this guy after his daughter died. He realized he hated this guy and everything that he stood for because he just thought that that person was a horrible human being. So he was going to –
0: Given the circumstances, wouldn't you feel that way? Like suddenly this man is the evil man uh, in your entire universe because you blame him for the death of your daughter.
1: Not to the extent that the professor takes it though. Because when the professor starts on his holy rampage to purge the world of that bad guy, he becomes a bad guy quite clearly. He's not insane. He hasn't been given some kind of green drug and turned into the Green Goblin. He's just the professor who's totally acting out his emotions. And in so doing, he gets – Tadashi killed
0: yes but, and that but,
1: was one of his other star students he we have no reason to believe that the professor cared less about Tadashi than he cared about his own daughter
0: but, but you see, he this gets is, what her, you,
1: him killed
0: But, but, but so you Without want batting view, an eye you want your villain to to wish that I, I don't understand because like this this hatred this this bitterness over his daughter is what makes him like this like I don't I don't understand what you would have wished for differently
1: okay um For all of the things that are absolutely horrible about the Star Wars prequels, there's one thing that, thankfully, in spite of Lucas and in spite of whatever the heck those movies represent in filmmaking, that kind of works. I feel like we're about to part ways here. Well, sure. But, okay, (laughs) Uh, Revenge of the Sith. When Uh Anakin Skywalker is losing his mind and he is acting incredibly dumb and he's doing all he's making all kinds of poor choices and he is stubborn about every last one of them, even after all that, when he is turned into Darth Vader because he's had a hack job with all of his limbs and he needs a uh, you know a voice uh, like a. A breathing respirator, and he puts on the helmet and he stands up. What does Darth Vader care about? He cares about the people that he always cared about. He still cares about his wife, and he wants to know about her well being he and he isn 't necessarily pointing a finger at anyone; he just wants to look out for frankly all the people around him and he and he's not his heart okay. is not so cold but, that because his wife and he disagrees on something he doesn't care about his wife.
0: But I feel like you've just made my point though because Darth Vader when he if we're going with the prequel stuff here when when he is um trying to he's going to the dark side and uh obi-wan shows up and then all of a sudden anakin finds out that his wife is there and she comes running out of the ship anakin what have you done and he chokes her and nearly kills her like this is the woman that he loves and yes he inquired about her but then he just sort of goes completely over to the dark side once he finds out she's dead it broke him like he didn't care about anybody or anything he betrayed everything that he had ever known everybody he got Mace Windu killed he tried to kill Obi-Wan he tr- he he got uh... He got all the Jedi killed. He murdered children. Like he went over to the dark side because of this hatred and bitterness. And that's what this guy did is his daughter. He lost his daughter and he went over to the dark side essentially and became evil. He didn't really care about anybody or anything else. He wanted his revenge on uh, Kray for the loss of his daughter. So I feel like you've made my point.
1: <clears throat> I I guess from <laughs> a certain point of view – I can see what you're saying, but what I'm what I'm trying to say is that Darth Vader didn't just get up from the table and say, "Okay, so what do we do now, big boss, Sith Lord, dude? We're just going to move on." And I am Darth Vader. Ha ha! He he actually still had feeling. He still had an opinion about things. He wasn't so dark inside that he wasn't thinking about how everything he had done had affected other people. Mm. And he still had some sense in him is what I'm saying. Like he he, flash forward to the, the the old star Wars films. Vader has to obviously wipe out the rebel Alliance. He wants to wipe out the rebel Alliance, but the moment he finds out that he has family on the other side, he'll do anything to try and get them to join him. Yeah. So, why didn't, say, the professor tried to do that with some of his students? Why did he turn his back on all of his students who he loved nearly as much as his daughter the moment that he lost his daughter?
0: But see, we don't know at what point – like we don't know at what point he lost his daughter. It's unclear to me the timeline. Like that, I got the impression that was several years ago, and we don't know at what point that would have all taken place. And there's no reason why he would value his students more than his daughter such that when he – when he basically lost his mind that he would care more enough for them to, to care for them. You know, I, I'm just not following your, I mean, it's fine, but I'm just not following your logic.
1: Yeah. It's definitely a gray area. And I, and I know where you're coming from. I've already discussed this with two or three other friends and they strongly disagreed with me. I I talked to a few others though that did agree with me and, You know, it's, it's one of those sticky things where it's like, well, how believable, how interesting and how compelling is your villain? And ultimately we, we as a whole, even if we accepted the the professor character, we just were not super impressed with the professor character. Mm. Like bottom line between, um, King Candy of Wreck-It Ralph and this guy or (laughs) Hans in Frozen, like Hans was even a more interesting and compelling villain than the professor was. He was an okay villain. He just wasn't all that great. And for a film that has a fantastic robot and a, and a pretty good kid, and it has a, a great world building, and they, they, they're, they're, you know they're trying to create a new franchise here, people. Oh, yeah. It, we would have just hoped for more from an introductory villain. And, and, you know, what they say about Marvel movies, a lot of people criticize Marvel's villains, that they, they've never had that uh, going for them.
0: And, and, and Disney the didn't movies, do much to change that. Based on the movies, I certainly agree with that perspective, that there's there's one really good villain, and none of the rest of them are any good. Who's <laughs> the one you're thinking of? Loki. He's an awesome villain. Oh, yeah. He's the exception okay. to the rule. He's the exception that proves the rule.
1: Well, I think there's a few others. I just don't think that they get the attention that they deserve. You know, you you think about, say, um, well, the the X Men, they have Magneto. I think he's a great villain. I think that for Spider Man, there's a a good chunk of, you know, villains there.
0: I'm talking about the MCU. I'm not talking about those other things. I'm I'm specifically, my experience is all with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. and when I talk about Marvel and Marvel villains, that's what I'm talking about. Specifically, like Malachyth could have been such a great villain and they chose to gloss him over. You know, the same with – even even though I liked, loved Guardians of the Galaxy, I felt a little bit of frustration with the villain there too. Like they have a, a problem with their villains. So I I get that. I just didn't feel like this film fit into that mold.
1: Okay. I, I agree. Um, lastly – wait wait, last... wait, wait,
0: wait. You just said you agree, but you just spent like 15 minutes disagreeing with me.
1: <laughs> no, I mean talking about the other villains.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. I, I see. Do you agree Sorry. with like the last few sentences? yes okay (laughs) (laughs) um
1: okay and then lastly uh for this film just as a whole the second half of the film disappointed me besides the tonal quality shift when it, it, it started to dwell more and more on action super super abilities um the action of you know their camaraderie as Friends that were united as a force that were going to thwart the evildoers, and you know, I was like, uh, whatever, and, you know, we, we've seen this a lot. This is just uninteresting. An and I mean, like, th- there was a dozen reasons for why what these kids were doing should have completely failed, or there should have been intervention from cops and other authorities that never showed up to stop them or intervene when very dangerous things were happening. And it was, uh, you know, that would have made for more interesting story, at least in the Incredibles. When the giant robot finally attacks the city, the the military does show up. They try their best and their best is so horrible that they have to flee the scene because they're getting wiped out. And then the Incredibles come in to try and save the day. And, And, you know, things like that would have made more sense in this movie.
0: I mean, I again, I, I really kind of disagree. I, I always knew that this is where the film was going, so I guess maybe it didn't surprise me or startle me, and I thought it was fantastic the way the team started to work together. I mean, I, I do maybe could kind of agree that maybe they should have built it up a little more. Like, maybe we should have seen some montages of time passing. Maybe that would have helped, but ultimately, I really liked the way the team came together, so I'm, I'm not quite identifying with, with where you're coming from there. Uh, so.
1: You know, a lot of this goes back to what are you expecting when you go into a film? And what I was expecting was kind of consistent with I guess the teaser trailer I saw for this film. I never actually got around to seeing a full trailer. And what I saw from the teaser made me think that it was a bit more creative, um made me think that it had a lot more to do with a robot. And certainly this film has lots of Baymax. And the relationship with him and Hero. And that was the great stuff about this film.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, Baymax, like, he's he saves, you know, uh, Hero and, and the person that Hero's trying to save. Yeah, Baymax is arguably himself.
1: the most compelling character. Absolutely. The, I guess what really struck me was that I was not expecting this to feel like a superhero film at the end of the day. Mm. I was not expecting this to be a superhero film. So let me get this straight. That's exactly what it turned out to be.
0: Let me get this straight. You went to see a a film based on a Marvel comic and you didn't expect it to be a superhero film.
1: I actually didn't know that it was based on a Marvel comic until after I saw the film. Research, dude. Research. Well, no. I mean, not everybody researches their movies. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and that's the thing, I mean, like when you hear about something called big hero six, it has a Japanese flair, big it's hero
0: about, six. I'm yes, just but I thought that
1: that was a play on words because the kid's character's name is hero with an I and the movie with an E I was like, okay, maybe the hero is the robot. Maybe the robot, something, it does something kind of heroic. I thought it was pretty fun. I thought it could be a parody of superhero films before it would become a superhero film.
0: I don't know what to do with you, man. I really don't. <laughs> I really don't know what to do with you. Well, why is it that John Lasseter
1: and Disney couldn't have done something a little bit more original? They could have done something that was nerdy that had more to do with, um, well, I don't know what, but they, it didn't have to boil itself down to this is a superhero flick.
0: But and, this, but that's not the film they wanted to make. They wanted to make a superhero flick.
1: Yeah, but nothing said That it was going to be a superhero flick. Why should I assume that it was going – should I just assume any movie that Disney makes from now on is either going to be a princess movie or by default it will be a superhero flick?
0: But I don't know what trailers you saw. Like even the teaser trailers, I don't understand what movie you were expecting to go see. I don't get it.
1: I saw a teaser trailer where it showed a lot of the comedy going Uh. on between Hero and Baymax which happens during the first act of the film.
0: I think it was the very first teaser trailer where he's making armor for Baymax. And that was where the, the humor was coming from.
1: so what the, uh, the uh, armor doesn't always f- follow
0: superheroes. Yeah, no, we're just going to get some armor to, to till our garden with over here. It's no big deal. <laughs> but what would a kid do if he had a giant robot
1: that was pudgy and made of plastic? He would, he would do something to give him armor.
0: And I think the second – it may have been the first, it may have been that same teaser trailer or maybe it was the second one where he's giving a police report of a guy attacking him with microbots.
1: Again, like I said, that would have made a lot more sense if it were a parody of superhero films rather than becoming a superhero film.
0: Joe, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> I don't understand. Okay. My
1: mind has been blown. <laughs> Uh, I guess that I should also assume that all Disney movies are going to be musicals as well until proven otherwise.
0: But but why would you assume that? Because Disney is all over the map. Like, I don't understand. Disney made a film called Frozen. I guess it had some music in it. Disney made a film called Wreck-It Ralph, which is a video game film. Disney has made a film called uh, Big Hero 6, which is a superhero film. Disney made a film called Bolt, which is about a dog being a superhero. Like, like they're all over the map. I don't understand what you're saying.
1: Okay, Wreck-It Ralph. Going into that, should I have assumed that that was a superhero film?
0: Yeah, no, because it was a video well,
1: game because film. because it wasn't. Uh, no, and I mean, and it, yeah, we, we knew it was a video game film based very clearly on all the trailers. They made that abundantly clear. I didn't think that the trailers for Big Hero 6 struck me that way. They, if, like I said, anything, there's a world maybe, – maybe you're not understanding. Maybe you're not hearing me. There's a world of difference between parody of superhero film And superhero film. (laughs) That's not the same. No, I
0: get it. I just, I don't understand. I never, I never thought it was going to be a parody of a superhero film. I thought it was going to be an animated superhero film.
1: Not a straight, what I mean is, again, to to clarify, I don't mean parody as in like Spaceballs was a straight up parody of Star Wars. Sure. What I mean is more of like a parody of the superhero genre. And um, so borrowing you, you, lots of pop culture references and making an amalgamation that involved you, a kid who just wanted to be an ultra nerd. And are have you a saying relationship you don't believe in this.
0: the shorts and, and, and you didn't want to go see yogurt? Come on.
1: Actually, I, I did just finish watching that film a couple of weeks ago and I was sorely displeased.
0: <laughs> it's a terrible film. <laughs> I couldn't, I've never been able to make it through that film. <laughs> I made it
1: through, um, fast forwarding a few
0: parts just because it was so drab. It's one of those films. We're getting sidetracked here, but that's okay. It's one of those films where it's so cheesy and corny that at least for me, I actually cringe and like, I'm looking away and like, Oh my gosh, it's too, no, stop it. Stop it. And finally I, I just turn it off.
1: This is a movie review inside of a movie review.
0: It's and inception. And we're not even Christopher Nolan. Yes. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else you want to irritate me? I, I, I mean, you want to complain about.
1: No, no, I'm pretty good, DJ. I think I got my job done.
0: Okay, good. I am thoroughly irritated. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so let's let's wrap up our thoughts on this film. I will summarize, and you will be quiet because you've. No, I'm kidding. I'm again kidding. <laughs> uh, so my my final thoughts on this film are that it is a fantastic film. Uh, it represents some of the best of John Lasseter's uh influence, even though he was. Uh, Again, it's hard to tell how much influence he or how much direct involvement he has with these films. And this was not directed by John Lasseter. I I feel like I've 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 kind of you know when I talked last week, I think it was or whatever it was about Wreck-It Ralph, and earlier in this podcast, and I talk about John Lasseter's influence. Like it should be noted that he's not you know credited with directing these films, but I feel like his his influence is ever present in these films with Disney Studios, and his creative vision is there. And I really like the direction that things are headed with all that, and I'm really excited for what the future holds. As far as this film goes, I think it represents some of the best storytelling qualities that his influence has had on, on Disney Animation Studios. Um, I, I really enjoyed m- pretty much every aspect of this film um, in, in really just very minor quibbles that really aren't even worth talking about. Um, and I give the film four and a half out of five stars, which, as you all know, is very high praise from me. Uh it was just a fantastic film. Uh it it made me laugh. It uh it it uh it made me cry. It uh it made me interested. I was on the edge of my seat. Uh I was connected with the characters. I really love Baymax. I really love Baymax. Uh so make sure you see this film in the theaters.
1: And I'm going to say that I I think that TJ's point of view is absolutely valid. Thank you, sir. I think you're right. You're on the money for a large group of the audience. I think that people are going to absolutely enjoy this film with their family and friends. Or the holidays, getting together, it's going to excite young people, it will produce great toys, good video games. Go Disney Infinity for the platform video game platforms. Like this is this is definitely a moneymaker here. And, And they've got a lot of potential with sequels. So we have star characters that I really enjoy, Baymax number one, Hero as number two, with the potential for a lot more with the world building that they've already established. So I say that even though this movie was not like a huge success on me because I, I definitely see, you know, several disappointments mostly involving the villain, mostly involving the not so interesting, not so hot second act or second part of the film. I'm going to give it three and a half out of five stars. The first half of the film quite easily would have earned four and a half stars if it could have kept it up in the second half of the film. That's how much I was enjoying this film. Until the second half, when it got to the second half, eh, it dropped down to like a two and a half stars for me consistently to the end of the film. And so it was, it was there and then it wasn't. And I am certainly going to pick up a copy when it comes out on home entertainment. And my kids watched it. I took them to see this movie. I'm glad they saw it with me.
0: It was good stuff. Yeah. So you would recommend it for the general movie going audience. Yep. Yep. All right, well, IMDb rates this – the user rating uh, for this film is 8.4 out of 10 stars, and the Rotten Tomatoes rating, the critics really like it at 89% approval rating. Uh, I read a lot of glowing reviews uh, or at least skimmed them of this film from these critics as I scrolled through the Rotten Tomatoes uh, critic list. The audience is at 94% 94 approval rating, Uh, so not too far off from the, the critic rating. That doesn't always happen. Uh, so, um, Joe is kind of in the minority at his three and a half stars. That's all I've got to say about that. Uh, I feel like I'm in good company. Um, so anyway, kind of get my last little dig in there, Joe. It's okay. I'm sure you understand.
1: Uh, that's okay to you. I'm just, I'm, you'll never hear from me again. I'm not on the podcast anymore.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, I hope that's not true because, uh, you have, you have valuable (laughs) input. Um, when you play the devil's advocate, it, it's, anyway, it is what it is. Uh, nobody ever said that uh, we were always going to agree on, agree on everything, Joe. That's right.
1: Yeah, we we, we could start a new podcast. It's called the uh, the the Antagonist.
0: There you go. We'll we'll we'll, we'll think about that. Well, next week uh, we're going to be reviewing The Hunger Games: Catching Fire, Part One. Uh, it'll be one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's last films, although we have Part Two yet to go, which he will be in. I understand, although he had not completed filming for that film. But they, they figured a way to put it all together as far as I understand. Uh, we don't know what that way will be until we see it, but he had completed filming for Hunger Games catching Fire Part One, so that will be a complete film full of Philip Seymour Hoffman. So that'll be fun and interesting and sad all at the same time as we uh, we mourn the loss of that filmmaker still or that uh, the actor still. Um, Joe, have you seen uh, the previous two installments of the Hunger Games at this point? Yes. Okay. Yes. you excited? Really looking forward to it. Oh yeah. 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 This looks like good stuff. Francis Lawrence really upped the game with that second film, didn't he? (sighs) I quite agree. All right. So hunger games, catching fire part one next week is what we'll be reviewing. I'm excited to see it this weekend. In the meantime, uh, if you want to keep up with me and Joe, uh, we're going to tell you how you can do that because after hearing us argue and go back and forth and yammer at each other, I'm sure that you want more of that and you want to get online interactions with us, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to interact with you. We'd love for you to follow us. So where can people keep up with you, Joe?
1: I am underscore Joe Darnell on Twitter. I write almost every day. I comment and interact. Feel free to say hi. And you can also find me on my website, intentionalsensibility.com. And if that's too wordy for you, just search, um, go to joedarnell.com, and that takes you to my site.
0: Okay. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am TJ Draper Pro. Um, I uh, write every day, uh, pretty much every day, although uh, lately I have not been able to uh, write on the days that we podcast as well. So, like tomorrow, the only thing that will go up is a podcast. I'm kind of letting you in behind the scenes here, but I do write pretty much every day at moviebyte.com, M O V I E B Y T E.com. Uh, that is where you will find my work there. And, um, yeah, I already mentioned Twitter. I uh, mentioned the website. Oh, show notes. Uh, if you want to find the show notes for this episode, go to moviebitecom slash mbpodcast slash 113. This is our 113th episode, and that is where you will find the show notes for this episode. It is also at the bottom of that page is where you will find a lovely comment form where we would love for you to let us know what you thought about our review of Big Hero 6 and the other things that we talked about. We would love to hear from you and interact with you. Uh, we would love to get more of your participation. We would love to, for you to be involved. We we want your engagement uh, with our brand. Uh, sorry, I'm a little inside, <laughs> a little inside baseball there. Uh, you know, we we want a little. We, we, we want to talk to you. So please drop us a line and uh, get in there in the comments, and uh, we will we will interact with you in that way. So. That is it for us this week. Thank you for being here and putting up with our rambling and listening to our review. We had a lot of fun. I sure hope you did too. And we will talk to you next week about The Hunger Games Catching Fire Part 1. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, TJ. Good night.